Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 34 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'll be picking the brain of Richard Smullen. Richard must be one of those guys that just doesn't sleep at night because he runs a global private equity investment fund, a leading online video and attention measurement platform, and a revolutionary messaging app company all at the same time. His previous businesses have been acquired by NASDAQ-listed companies, and his latest venture, called Pipestream, is looking to radically change the way businesses and consumers interact. In fact, CNN calls it the call center of the future. Pipestream launched this past December and has already amassed more than 12,000 clients in 65 countries. Richard, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hi, Daniel. Thank you very much for having me. I love the show, so it was, a, it was an honor to be on it. Or is an honor. It is an honor. It's, an, it's my honor. And um, by the way, happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Your birthday was what? On the 25th, right? So we're three. I'm, yeah. I'm, two, I'm only uh, four, day, four days late. I'm not, I'm not so going to embarrass you. I'm not going to sing the song. But how old are you now? <laughs> I turned 37. Wow, 37. So you're pretty young for what you've accomplished so far. This is incredible. Um now, you've obviously got the entrepreneurial success bug. I know that sounds cheesy, but um, do you know when you were infected with it? What, what was the youngest age? Like, when did you start, I guess, your first business? Wow. It goes so far back that I now realize how old I actually really am. Wow. <laughs> I remember when I was in my... In my... Um, kind of preteens, I think I was seven or eight. That's, that's and wow, my seven. Had a, uh, my father had a, a small steel manufacturing business in Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm actually South African. I moved to New York from Johannesburg seven and a half years ago. And back then there was this craze where individuals were wearing these necklaces that were actually shaped like a dog tag. They were those military dog tag type yeah. of necklaces. And the, the chain was a, one of those bath plug chains. <laughs> and I remember doing a deal with one of my father's manufacturing heads to take the offcuts from some of the steel that they had cut from some of the fabrication lines and shape those into dog tags for me and give those to me for a couple of cents. I kind of paid him under the, under the table. <laughs> my dad, if you're listening, I'm so sorry for uh, corrupting and and uh, doing black market deals with your stuff, but that's how I uh, I could buy all the gum and all the garbage pail kids that that you saw me. With. So, <laughs> hold I on, Richard. Did, did Richard? Did he not uh, know? Did your father not know about this? No, nah, he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> he did, but I think he uh, he enjoyed the fact that I was enterprising enough to go about there and uh, and negotiate the deal myself. Very His stuff cool. would never, you know, never risk. <laughs> producing me a product and, and him not knowing but I would then take those dog tags and had 
micro agents at school, my friends who I would give you know, a whole lot of these dog tags to to go out to their friends and sell them. Wow. And it became a, <laughs> a sweet little business that back then made me think I, uh, you know, I was going to be the next, the next uh, you know, billionaire. But today I realized it was, uh, was really just my, my entry into the world of, of entrepreneurialism. Wow, that's very cool. I mean, you're only seven years old. Yeah, I was seven. Wow. What other, what other businesses did you start after that? Anything interesting? Uh, I decided then to get into the services business when mm-hmm. I was nine. When and you were nine? I charged my neighbors money to give them rides in my go-kart around the <laughs> block, which, uh, which was a good business, very high margin, yeah. high satisfaction. <laughs> had more friends than I'd ever had. It was, right. uh, it was, a, pretty, it was a very satisfying one. Amazing. Wow. Now, you, you started a, a PC-based biometric fingerprint technology company with your father. Now, I, I've actually got no clue what the heck that means. So, can you explain what, what that was? Absolutely. So, back in South Africa, during the, uh, during the kind of switchover from, you know, the, uh, the kind of apartheid regime to, to Mandela's government and the, the ANC, there was this this mad rush by businesses to establish new identity measures and, and new documents and really conform to global standards for identification and identity management. And my dad, who I've worked very closely with for my entire career, my best friend, and, and we were really kind of, you know, inseparable. Wow. He had left the steel manufacturing business. He had semi-retired. And a very good friend of his living in New York, an uh, ex-South African, had mentioned to my father that a friend of his had this business in Silicon Valley that had this device that plugged into a computer and you could put your fingerprint on it and it would know who you are. And this was back in 1998. So almost, what is that, 30 years ago? No, 20 years ago. And... To me, that sounded so cool and, and, you know, somewhat out of a science fiction movie. How old were you? I was naturally very excited and realized that there's an opportunity there, given what was happening in the, the economic and political landscape, to bring these devices to South Africa and, and get the government to embrace hmm. them for the issuance of new cards, identity cards, driver's licenses, etc. How old and, were you, Richard? Sorry, yeah? How old were you? At this stage, I was... 19 so 19 that's when you started getting into this this business partnership with your with your father yeah shortly before that a couple of years before as i'd started college i started my real first business which was an internet advertising portal just mm-hmm. called woiza.com it stood for what's on in south africa we developed a restaurant guide we developed content for nightclubs and we'll have cameramen going into the clubs and taking pictures and would take people's email addresses or or um, give them a link. Back then, not everyone had an email address. Give them a link where they could go to a website and see the photo and share it. And we're going back, as I say, you know, 20, uh, 20 odd years. So what happened with that? that what we, happened with that business, Richard? Was that profitable? How much money were you making uh, on that business? It wasn't. It wasn't very profitable. It was more around building the content and really establishing ourselves as the first entertainment kind of 
web portal in South Africa. We sold it to a company called World Online, which mm -hmm. was a subsidiary of Tiscali, which okay. was an Italian ISP that parts of still exist. That, that, was, that was sweet. And you know, I spent a year there working my management contract out. And that, was, that took me to about 20 odd when the fingerprint business was really starting to, to get some traction. And how, how much, I'll, I'll Richard, just finish that, that Richard, how very much, quickly. Richard, how much yeah. did you sell that company for? That company was sold for, back then, a few million rand, which sounds, well, when you're that age and when you're talking in rands, it sounds a lot, mm -hmm. but converted probably a few hundred thousand dollars. Okay, but you were 19 at the time. Yeah, I was 19. I was kind bad. of part-time in college. It was, it, was a, it was just a nice beginning, middle, and kind of end to a, to a business venture. It, I'd say, although I had the, the entrepreneurial bug at a very young age, this was my first real sweet taste of what can happen on a, on a scale outside of you know, bribing the, the factory foreman for <laughs> a little product. Right. So... But let me quickly just turn full circle on the on the fingerprint story. Yeah. So through my father's friend, we had negotiated the rights to distribute these devices in South Africa. And I became, you know, the full-time sales guy on the road, basically going to all the point of sale companies, any software company or any integrator that had a need for an identification of an individual on the other end. Mm -hmm. And this device, biometric, so it's something to do with your body and it's identification. So in this case, it was a fingerprint, fingerprint biometric. And the device today is, 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 pretty, is, um, is pretty ubiquitous. They're in integrated into various PCs and, and various point-of-sale terminals. But back then, it was a little box that connected into the USB port. I'd say it was the size of a, of a cigarette box. Okay. A small cigarette box, and it had a little screen there that had an optical recognition device that had a camera with mirrors inside, and you'd put your fingerprint on it, and it would take an image of the fingerprint and map out the, the fingerprint patterns, and based on that, create an ID for you, and as you know, all fingerprints are unique, so there was this ability for the system to recognize individuals. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the first real start of me and kind of exposed to international business i'd say being a distribution channel for this net for this silicon valley company and that's the business that got acquired ultimately by active card which was the nasdaq listed company that had a a very strong desire to move into the south african and therefore african market south africa is generally the conduit into the rest of Africa being the financial hub of the continent and ended up working for ActiveCard for four years, running the African ActiveCard operations. That was my, I suppose, first real job. Had a boss, you know, had a, had a, uh, you know. Why, why would you do that? Three. Richard, hold on. Can we just yep. backtrack? I want to backtrack a second. So let's just think about this. You started the company with your father that, that was a very cool tech company biometric fingerprint technology wonderful um what how many years w did did you i mean how many years were you running that for two years so it's just and, two and by the way i haven't done a full 
kind of backtracking here. So I'm maybe off a few months, but it, it, it was about two years. Okay, so about two years, you built the, the company. At, after two years, at the two-year mark, what was it generating on yearly revenue, roughly? It was generating around about a million dollars. A, a million a dollars year, a year. Which, okay. I mean, it was, you know, eight million, nine million rand back then. Okay, so a million dollars a year. How, how old were you, Richard? I just want to paint a picture here for 22. the audience. Twenty-two. So you're twenty-two years old. You're twenty-two years old. You're doing a million dollars a year in revenue. Okay. You then sell the company out for how much? Three million. You sold the company for three million. You were doing a million a year. Yeah. Okay. It was distribution. It was it was hardware. Okay. And it was very profitable. I mean, it was really just my father and I. So. Right. The so then the question, I guess tremendous. the question begs itself, and I think people listening will, will probably want me to ask this question as well. Why would you, at uh, that stage in your life, you've built a very successful company at the age of 22, 23 years old, you've sold it for $3 million with your dad, um, why would you then go and work for another company? It's a really good question, I I'd left college, so I didn't finish my degree. I was three and a half years in, and I felt that the lessons that I could learn, being employed, part of this global organization, being inserted into their you know, formal processes, routines, and, and the various structures, would really give me an expedited kind of education around corporate structuring and, and the way that large companies ran. And mm-hmm. so just the idea of, of making some money at that stage and then, you know, being given this this platform in Africa that really I was kind of controlling with this balance sheet behind me at that stage, Active Card had just gone through the IPO. They IPO'd a couple of days before the, the great crash. They had just over 300 million in the bank. Wow. And just just represented for me at that age a, a good opportunity too feel what it's like to not have to worry about you know making payroll or getting through the the end of the month right what and were you just focus on selling what were you earning on a salary um with active card well i mean I, I, we're going back i don't know 15 <laughs> odd years i can't exactly remember hundred and 000, by the way sorry, while we're speaking i've just gone i've just checked in here i was actually wrong it, it wasn't three million it was 1.5 million Okay, so Sorry, you sold. So, you sold uh, that's it okay. Was one point five times the revenue. Right. When you said that, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds yeah, does sound wrong. Right. But still, there was there was a lot of money in South African rands. Right. So then. so you sold out for one point five million. Then you were on what was it a six figure salary, like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year? Oh no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. Wait, no. I was on. I was on a probably a a million rand a year salary. So probably eighty. Not even that high. Really? Probably half a million rand. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, you know, it was a distribution business. It was, we had negotiated the deal such that I would have a very high uh, commission and, okay. and regional profit kicker, which, by so, the way, is something that I do in, in all my transactions and all my deals. I'm very much an upside heavy guy. What do you mean by that? I, I believe that there's more money to be made on a variable basis 
basically as a result of what you're selling and how big you're making the business versus just fixing your income to a salary and, and, and having it and having it uh, fixed and stagnant. So think of commission, think of profit share, really the upside of what you've done in the business. So the more money you make for the business, the more money you make for yourself. Right. So you would never work for a company just on a, a fixed salary basis. You're saying that uh, those listening to this who haven't started a business and, and are working for a, another company or are looking to go and get a job, you're saying that they should actually go for uh, profit share or commission rather than fixed salary. It depends. I had a very different situation. I was living at home. I didn't have a care in the world financially. No mm -hmm. responsibilities really, except for the gas for my go kart. So once I covered <laughs> my overhead, I, uh, you know, everything was really just savings. So I could take the risk and I could modify the package such that the the um, the quantum was really based on how well I did and, and how much I believed I could actually you know, move this product and, and sell it. So I would say that someone was well, starting a business. I mean, it's, it's a little different because you wouldn't, you wouldn't put yourself on commission or you wouldn't put yourself right. on a profit share because you own the business and you should be plowing everything back into it to grow it. But certainly when you are starting a business and you're looking to hire your first key employees, mm -hmm. the, at least for me in my, in my past was merit in, finding those individuals who were willing to quote unquote put skin in the game and if they can't do that via actually putting some money in then the next best is to forego actual hard cash and take that in the form of equity or some kind of performance base so you're in saying that the, way you're, yeah that way you kind of aligned with the success and the better the company does the better everyone does right versus these fixed salary scenarios Right. You want people working for you who are, who are you know, really uh, wanting the company to succeed. And the best way to do that, ultimately, is to give them a piece of the pie. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me ask and you... And what um, happens in that scenario is that you don't feel like they're working for you. You actually feel like they're working with you. So right. in my current business, and I know we're, we're kind of skipping ahead here. We'll, we'll, we'll take it back in a, in a sec. But the company here... Of the 60-odd employees we already have, 40 or so have shares in the company, actually are shareholders. And that's a scheme that I've created wow. to really instill the loyalty and, the, and the, the, uh, the anchor on which we could you know, really you know, propel here. So I, I uh, find that I have 40-odd you know, partners in this business, even though I started it on my own, which, which has been a really interesting exercise, which I'm happy to dive into a little bit later. No, but that's incredible. I mean, the whole idea of having 40 partners rather than just 40 employees, uh, that's very powerful. That's very Absolutely. powerful. But let me let me get back to what we were talking about. You were um, working for Active Card. How long did you last there as an employee? Four years. So you lasted for four years. You weren't itching to get out and start another business? I was. However, I had a objective to meet there and I'd set my, my sights on a certain revenue number and, and getting myself into a position where I felt that I'd, I'd delivered on, on my promise and in doing that, you know, made a little bit of money, which was obviously 
important at, at that stage, given this is now me catapulting into my kind of late twenties and right. And you started an online. You you started an. Sorry, 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 Richard. You started an online gaming tournament in China. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, I'll give you two seconds on that if you if you want to hear. Yeah, go on. A friend of mine had approached me in Cape Town one year and said, "There's this opportunity to do poker tournaments or you know online poker, uh-huh. which had just become the rage and between party poker and." You know, and some of these full tilt poker. You know, they were they were kind of all over the place. And we looked at the angle and the opportunity, and we saw that if we could figure out a way to bring this type of technology into China in a legal and government-sanctioned way, would have a chance at building something pretty big. So through a friend of my father's, I met a guy named Sam Lee. He's become a dear friend of mine. Sam lived in Hong Kong, and his best friend. Was the chairman of a government-owned telecommunications company in Beijing. We went to visit him. Loved the idea, and over the next two and a half years, we were building this business up in in Beijing. I went there maybe a dozen times over the two and a half years, mm-hmm. and it was it was a just a wild ride. I mean, it's. Uh, it was the early days of of gaming, and and when WeChat was still called QQ and. <laughs> and a South African group called Naspers had just bought a stake in a company called Tencent. And, I mean, that's a whole story on its own, which would fascinate all your listeners. I think we've got to do a sequel. What do, you, what do you think, Richard? I think we're going to have to do a sequel on this. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's about Naspers, which is the company that, a little company out of South Africa that bought 10, 30% of Tencent for a million wow. bucks. And today it's worth tens of billions. It's one of the, wow. the legendary... VC deals of all time. Wow. But anyway, so I, you know, built that up, got it to a point where we just couldn't take it any further and sold it to our partners who were the technology providers. And yeah, just added that chapter to my book. China, check. Internet gaming, check. (laughs) I'm going to skip the other dozen dozen businesses that you've successfully built. Uh, I'm going to skip to your latest venture, which is Pipestream. Can you explain to our listeners what Pipestream is and how you came up with the idea. Absolutely. Pipestream is the first purpose-built B2C messaging app. And it's intended for consumers around the world to use, not dissimilar to the way they use WhatsApp or WeChat or Facebook Messenger to message with their friends. But with Pipestream, the intention is for them to message with businesses. And the idea is that you should be able to message with a business instead of phoning the business, instead of emailing the business, instead of going through the business's website to find what it is you're looking for and really bring a business into a conversational type mm. of relationship with a consumer. So if you think of your cable company right now, if your modem goes out, you, you would typically pick up the phone and, and sit on the hold because that's just one of the issues of call centers. And yeah. ultimately, hopefully it will get resolved. With Pipestream, you would open up the app on your phone, you would connect to the cable company that you're subscribed to, and you would message them and say, hi, my internet's not working or my modem's down. And a response would come through immediately, either by a human being who's sitting there responding or by an artificial intelligence-based response system or a chatbot that we've Mm. developed in the back end which really 
you know, gives the response and the resolution as uh, as well as any human would have. So it's been a really interesting business that we started 18 months ago. We launched it in December. And yeah, it's, it's been how, just how did you come up? How did you come up with this? How did you come up with this yeah. idea? The idea came about through an experience I had early last year where it was Sunday night. I was in Miami and I had a flight to come back to New York that I was going to miss. I was at a pretty formal dinner. So I got up from the table to call my, to call Delta and they told me I was going to be on hold for a, a while, which wasn't going to work. So I went back, sat down at the table and under the table, I opened up the Delta app and I was trying to change my flight through the app. 30-odd pages later and different route <laughs> options, I was just too frustrated. And I opened up WhatsApp and I messaged my sister, Kim, who lives in New Jersey. And I said, Kim, are you there? A minute later, she responded, sure, what's up? I said, can you please just go on your computer and change my flight tomorrow? I'm going to miss my flight. Here's the confirmation number. She goes, absolutely. Wow. She, a minute later, she sent back a couple of options for me to change to, hmm. chose the one I wanted, tell her, told her how to pay. And the response came through, you know, shortly thereafter with my confirmation number still being the same, but then my my ticket and said, you know, see you tomorrow. And that's when I had this epiphany that that was a pretty awesome experience that I wish I was having with Delta and why couldn't I have it with Delta? So that kind of set me on the path to understand what existed in the messaging space and see how I could bring a product like that to the market for myself as a consumer because if I never have to phone a call center ever again, it would be too soon, to be honest. They're mm. just, for me, a major frustration point. So not having to call my cable company, my bank, the airlines, hotels, and rather just be able to message everybody the same way I message friends inspired this idea. And we just timed it very well. We entered the market at a time where messaging was gaining a lot of traction but it was all around person to person or social messaging and we saw that there was no dedicated business to consumer messaging app where you can't talk to other people friends or you can talk to our businesses and they can talk back to you and that became our opportunity which we seized and as you said you know 18 months later there are now 13 odd thousand businesses on the platform some major, major utilities and cable companies, airlines that are busy integrating it into their call center and coming online in the next few months. Richard, I want to ask you a question here because I understand that obviously you've, you, you, you've, you've got an idea, okay? You're sitting at a table and I, I'm pretty sure pretty much almost everybody listening to this, including myself, we've sat at a dinner table, we've had an idea or we've, you know, we've been in the shower, right? We're singing away and suddenly an idea pops in our head, right? How do you go from having an idea to then getting to 12,000 clients or even, or even just getting to your first client? Forget 12,000. How do you get to your first client? For example, one of the things that, that I thought about when you were speaking was, okay, he has this idea that wouldn't it be cool if Delta, if I could message Delta directly? Now, a lot of people would think, you know what, it's a good idea, but it's not really going to happen. Like, I'm not really going to change the way, you know, people like cable companies and companies like Delta are going to interact with 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 uh, consumers. That's number one. Number two is, if it is a great idea, then surely somebody's already gone and done it, right? And if they haven't done it, then there must be a good reason for it. It must be a bad idea. What do you say to that? What, how did you get past that? 
Yeah, I think if everyone worried about a the competition or the time or whether someone else has done it and if they haven't, why not? Then innovation and entrepreneurialism would not exist. So first and foremost, I don't believe that's a way to to look at the world or, or look at anything, especially today, where you're one global village and maybe there's someone in this market with something that doesn't mean you can't apply your idea and product to another market. So putting that aside for a sec, when the idea came about or when an idea comes about, for me, the key is to understand if there's a value proposition and who is the value proposition for. If you're bringing a product or solution to an enterprise, in which case, you know, you, uh, you have to have relationships there and you have to know how to kind of survey them, then the key for an enterprise at its absolute minimum is does your product save them money? That's the key. So if you've got a product and you can show unequivocally that it will save an enterprise money, mm -hmm. then there's some need for that product because every organization wants to save money. The next best is can my product make the organization more money? Right. And if you can demonstrate that through hard evidence, case studies, use cases, then you know, you're, you've got the second best kind of need. And then obviously the third, which ties in to both, is will this, will this product make, our, make the enterprise's customers more loyal, more dedicated, and, and you know, want to transact for a longer lifespan with this business? Now, if you check any of those boxes, or you know, the first is, is obviously in our case the most important, then your then your idea is a good one and okay. the way to figure out whether you check those boxes are to do a little bit of you know market research speak to individuals in your network you know friends of friends and ask them if they had the solution if they had a product that would do xyz would it save them money in my case it was asking you know various heads of of companies that have call centers, hey, if I could have your agent sitting in the call center respond to 15 times the number of inbound requests from consumers than they're doing now, would that save you money? And the immediate answer is absolutely. That efficiency means I don't need as many people in the call center. And, you know, that got me into the conversation with these various businesses. Mm. Once you've validated the idea and you realize that there's something there, you've got to look at the other side of the equation. In my case, it was, well, wait a minute, that's fantastic for the business, but it's a consumer play. Now, are consumers going to use this product? And it just so happened that it was a messaging app at a time when messaging was about to explode as it relates to it being the, the primary communication channel for really everybody worldwide. Right. So there was a lot of luck there, and I have to, you know, and I don't want to understate the, the role of luck in, in the saw that the timing was just, just perfect. So the validation on the consumer end was actually, yes, consumers do want to use messaging. They actually prefer it. We did a little bit of market research. You can do a survey, monkey survey. There are other companies that can do some market research for you to, you know, validate or find out if an idea is going to resonate. And in this case, it was asking consumers, would they prefer to message when their cable goes out and get a resolution that way immediately, or would they prefer the phone? 
And nine out of 10 times, the response was, would absolutely prefer to message, you know, when can we sign up? At that point, we knew we had something. So both sides of the equation had value from this product, from this platform. And at that point, it was about, in my case, I was fortunate enough to, to uh, be able to seed the business and, and put in a little bit of money that could establish the LLC, that could create the entity that I could spend a bit of time and effort and, and resources on coming up with an identity, a brand, some kind of, some kind of, of existence, which takes you from an idea to an action. But how did you get your first? How did you get your first? Long. How did you get your first one hundred clients? Our first one hundred clients came after CES, where we officially launched, and there was a lot of press about us. What CES? And CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's the okay. largest show, conference, exhibition in the world. It's it's centered around electronics and media and technology. It happens in Vegas, the beginning right. of January every year. Okay, so you went and to a trade. So you through, went to a trade show, and what happened next? We partnered with a company there who had a, a presence there, and they wanted to communicate with their their customers and and, and their employees in mm-hmm. Vegas. So we put them on PipeStream as a as a pilot company called MediaLink, and. And from there, it just started snowballing. Other businesses heard about it. People who were using it to talk to MediaLink with themselves, maybe small businesses who thought this would be cool to talk to their clients or their employees. And then they signed up for it. It was self-serve. Anyone could just go to pipestream.com, sign up. You get a pipe. Pipe is your presence inside the Pipestream catalog. And anyone in the world can go into the catalog, find you, connect you, and start messaging to you. Wow. Interesting. have this, you know, bi-directional conversation that really makes the world a lot smaller. Richard, do do you think Facebook could be a potential competitor of yours? They are a potential competitor, or rather they are a competitor. Okay. And the reason is they have such a major um, footprint and so many consumers that for businesses to tap into that just makes sense. Where we differ and why we've you know, seen the, the traction that we have is because Facebook is a social and kind of friendly platform first mm-hmm. and then business second. Whereas Pipestream, think of us as the yellow pages and we're not trying to retrofit ourselves to be a social chat app. You can't share photos with your friends on Pipestream. You know, you can't watch dog videos. So <laughs> we're staying very focused on that mission where all the businesses you interact with are cons- consolidated in a messaging app that's only for business. It's very secure. We've got all the security built in to make us compliant with HIPAA, which is for the healthcare industry here, with FINRA and, and the SEC regulations around banking and financial. And that's meant we're, we're kind of unique. Whereas Facebook, while you know I love it and, and I kind of use it every day, I don't think of Facebook when I think of a business transaction. Me as a as a you know an aggrieved consumer wanting to resolve something with my service provider, my mental disposition is not immediately to go to Facebook. So for that reason, I think while we're competing in the same space, we're you know very different to you know, to their proposition. Do you think they'll buy you out one day? 
<laughs> no comment. And if and if they do, by the way, we're definitely having another episode. <laughs> yeah, well, if they do, I'm going to attribute it to you for making me famous. Mm-hmm. Richard, now, you, you obviously have a wealth of experience starting and growing successful businesses. To those of those that are listening to this, what would your advice be um, in terms of starting and growing their business? Hmm. Well, the first step for me, and, and uh, Daniel, I can only really speak from experience, and hopefully that experience you know, is, is, is applicable and resonates, but I find that the minute you move your idea from something in your head to an actual entity, creating a logo, giving it a, a website, even if it's just a landing page, the minute you transition it from the mind to the world in, in some respects, I think you have this, this subconscious movement or triggering into serious mode. All right, I've got this business now, let me go build it. So I think the first thing is, once you've come up with the idea, once you've decided you want to go for it, and by the way, a reason to not go for it should never be because someone else is doing it or maybe someone else tried and failed. If anything, those are the, those are the times you should do something because you can always improve what someone else is doing. We've seen that with how you know Google improved the search and look what happened right. to Yahoo or at home excite and, and you know that's a great example. And sometimes if someone tried something and it didn't work, you can learn what they did wrong and figure out how you can kind of change that. As technology evolves and the world evolves, opportunities to bring something back constantly emerge. So if you believe in something, you validate it, there's an opportunity there, absolutely go for it. Then bring it into a physical form, create an LLC, cost a couple of hundred bucks, give yourself a logo, give yourself an identity. And at that moment, there's this pride, this, this kind of innate pride that you feel and, and everyone does that means, all right, I'm now starting this next journey that's going to make me a billionaire. So mm. once you've done that, I am a big fan of AngelList as a source for recruiting talent for just learning about other businesses and really getting getting your your kind of arms around what's out there in terms of potential talent. So the next step has always been for me to find a key hire in some aspect of the business. So if it was a technology product and I needed to develop some kind of technology, the very next move would be finding a competent, reliable individual who can come in as my kind of partner and actually build this technology and at least start working on it because the sooner you get your product into a form where it's prototypable, where it's able to be tested, the sooner you can start selling it and commercializing your idea. So for me, the, the steps are take your idea from inception to business formation and some kind of you know, tangible existence and then go find your first key hire. Mm. Try and do it without a recruiter if you can, save your money, at this stage, you know, you're owning all the equity, so you obviously want to go as far as you can without having to sell any equity to, to anyone. Right. And, right. yeah. 
No, I was going to say I would take it one step further because for those listening, I know that a lot of people, they've got an idea, they've actually created a logo, they've created a website, and they've just got a bunch of websites just sitting there and a bunch of logos kind of just sitting there. Um, and I would say just to take it one step further is to say get your first client. Once you've got your first client, you're in business. Until, you, until you've got your first client, you don't have a business. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of entities. They've created LLCs, they've created logos, they've got a nice website, but ultimately they're just too scared to get to, to, to get the clients. And I think just getting that first client, like you said, once you got that first client in that trade show, it snowballed. Then there was momentum. Just getting that first client is what builds the momentum and what takes you from an idea or an entity into an actual business. Absolutely. I mean, you you just fast track the process here. Sorry, yeah. I was just going from earlier. Okay. I've got an idea. What do I do? But absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rachel. the minute you validate your business, until that point, it's it's all really just you know hearsay or or your belief or, or vanity in some respects. But the client acquisition is key because the learnings from that client, the fact that that client has invested maybe not money, so oftentimes don't be unhappy if the client won't pay for your product. The mere fact that they're spending time on it, that they're committing resources, means that they're committed and, and, and uh, invested in it. So once you have that client, the learnings and, and the ability to reference what happened there with future clients is, is, is what will change your business or turn you from that you know, sleepy website scenario into a, you know, a business that's about to start growing. Uh, so, Richard, essentially, you took a pipe dream into pipe stream. <laughs> Richard, and it's hopefully been... Hopefully, <laughs> it doesn't go back to a pipe dream. Hopefully not. Hopefully, it'll be acquired by Facebook. Everybody watch this space. Richard, it's been really inspirational. It's been wonderful getting to know you. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain been listening to the can i pick your brain podcast inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth so to put these ideas into action head over to danielgeffen.com